I am sitting across from Tom Riddle, he who must not be named. <laughs> uh, I need a credit, Jean-Marc, on that one. Uh, I am referencing, of course, to Matt Bounds, who on Sunday we were told not to, not to, well... Not to speak his name. Not to speak his name. Not I don't think he actually said that, no, to be didn't. fair. Not to speak him. I'm trying to come up with a name now that's an anagram of I am Matt Bounds. So that would be funny. Yeah, I'll, I'll work on that. Anybody who doesn't like Harry Potter has no idea what we're talking about right yeah, now. Yeah, they're completely loosed. Or they think that Harry Potter's wicked and sinful. Don't, don't go down that route, Dave. Don't pull that thread. <laughs> uh, okay, class, we're doing Fruit of the Spirit at the moment. This is, you'll have done six sermons in a row by the end of this. It's six. I was I added up. Or five. That... I... Five or six. I mean, it's this, the principle is the same. It's been a while since you've done five or six in a row, isn't it? It'll be five sermons, I think. It'll be the intro and then four sermons on the actual details of the fruit. And then Pentecost. And then Pentecost, yeah. So yeah. six in a row, yeah. So it's been a while since you've done that. Yeah. That's yeah, I've kind of forgotten what it was like doing a run like that. Yeah. Uh, surviving so far uh what is it bd before dave (laughs) (laughs) but yeah even then though i wouldn't i would often do that many in like the space of a couple of months but not in a row because you'd have visiting speakers other people in house so yeah we'll see if i'm still up to it yeah so usually of course you might say you don't agree with the premise of this question usually we do expositional Hmm. sermons at the bridge um could you give someone some pointers if they were struggling with this more topical series? Yeah, I don't completely agree with your premise, there but <laughs> I'll explain that. Yeah, yeah I, I like it when you start with a provocative question. Yeah, it, this is kind of a hybrid series in one sense, isn't it? Technically, it's expositional because it's a passage from Galatians. It's not saying we're talking about the topic of holiness. Yes, yeah, helpful. It's a passage in Galatians, but I know what you mean because there isn't enough detail about each individual word in the passage or even in Galatians to explain it. So you have to jump around scripture quite a bit. Um, So in in one sense, actually what we're doing then is is systematic theology. What does the Bible say? (laughs) I'm laughing because Matt's sitting on the sofa looking at his notes and his notes are too far away and his eyesight's failing him. So he's just went forward. Brother in love, (laughs) shut up. (laughs) Okay, sorry, keep going. Oh man. Um, so yes, now to get back to my thread about systematic theology. Yeah, systematic theology yeah. So in a sense, we're doing that as well. What does the Bible say about the subject of X? In this case, what does the subject say this coming Sunday about the subject of kindness, kindness and goodness? And goodness. Yeah. That's why we're jumping around scripture more in a topical series. So I guess practically I'd say in terms of how can we help people if they're struggling a bit more with this sort of series, be prepared for some jumping around yeah. in the Bible. Realize you may need to go to some of the passages I'm citing and do a bit of your own work, yep. you know, maybe use a, a nice commentary or a study Bible to make sure that I'm using the verses in context and be patient with the preacher. It's, it's, um, you know, people always have to be patient with this, but it's, it's not possible to say everything on the topic of, for example, love, Yeah. especially if you've foolishly planned a series. So it's love and joy in one sermon. You can't say everything you want to say in one go. Yes. So really, by doing this series, you're helping people grow in the fruit of the spirit <laughs> by making them more patient. Well, I mean, I think one of the questions you said you're going to ask me later on is how do sermons help us with patience? Well, that was a bit. T- that was a joke. by by being slightly longer than they could be. Yeah. So be patient with the preacher. So yes, I'm doing that deliberately. Even as you said, though, no. you you got me thinking. Um, 
you know, check, check the references. Use a paper Bible. We were talking about this. Are you going to me for being a legalist here? But well, paper. Give us a paper Bible. Kind of depends on your heart motivation, and also I don't think you're saying you have to. You have to use a paper Bible, are you, Dave? Or if you don't use a paper Bible, you're a bad Christian. No, right, definitely. But we were saying off air, won't we? It, if nothing else, as an example potentially to the youth, yeah, that using a paper Bible so they can quite clearly see we're looking at our Bibles, not potentially something else on our phone. Yeah, it's something worth thinking about. And I, hands up, when I'm not when I'm preaching, I always use a paper Bible. When I'm in the pew, as you will know, Dave. Usually, I remember my paper Bible. Sometimes I'm on my phone, and I'm, for me, I'm not sure that's always helpful. Yeah, yeah, and we say, don't we? These things are caught more than they're taught. Yeah, they look around and they learn by seeing what mm. other people are doing. Well done, Dave. Anyway, we're one question in. You've gone off on a tangent already. Yeah, guilty. Uh, so, why is it you reference at the start on your way to your third office uh, <laughs> whenever you're crossing the zebra crossing? Yeah. Why does it feel like in those moments? that the spiritual fruit has been stripped from the tree. Why mm. is it that whenever someone tests our patience, all love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, yeah. just disappear? Why does that happen? Uh, yeah, nice one again. All the fruit stripped from the tree are very provocative, Dave, for all the comment there. but I'm talking about myself. This is not, <laughs> no, a, I'm not saying that it's the same for you. I'm joking about it, but it is, actually that is the way I feel yeah. um, in those moments, I think. Um, but it's not the case. Here's yeah. the thing. When the Holy Spirit's at work in a Christian life, it's not the case. All the fruit has disappeared. So I may have failed in that moment to show those those fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. Um, but it hasn't all disappeared. The point is more that we we can't be complacent. I suppose when we see the fruit in our lives, yeah. Um, and assume that the fruit will be a constant, you know, unwavering reality. We can't assume that, and we can't assume we don't need the Holy Spirit's constant work in our lives and His help as we cultivate the fruit, because we all slip backwards at times. Yeah. We're all inconsistent sometimes. And that here's a lovely thought that doesn't undo everything that the spirit has been doing in our lives. Yeah, that's true. Yes. And I think in those moments, I often feel like, gosh, there's no fruit in me. Like I'm a disaster. But often whenever you, so that's what's good about life groups, Christian friends, etc. You ask them, yeah, I feel like I'm bearing no fruit. Mm. Like, can you encourage me in any way? Or, yeah. or can you say, yeah, you're right? Yeah. Because I think often we think so bad, like so poorly of ourselves mm. and we don't realize that other people see good. Yeah. Well, well see it, the Lord in us. Case in point, uh, was it, uh, it was week one, we'd done love and joy. I can't remember if this was on the podcast or off air, but I said something about joy and, uh, and not feeling joyful. And you said something about, I think you're a joyful person, Matt. And I, I don't know if you would... Um, <laughs> I hope you were serious because I, I took encouragement from it. No, I wasn't, I wasn't just winding <laughs> but, you up. That'd be awful. <laughs> but um, yeah, it'd be terrible if you needed to say on the podcast, actually, no, I didn't mean it, Matt. Sorry, it was a joke. Pal. But you, you can feel like I was having a week where I probably wasn't feeling particularly joyful. Yeah. You need to hear from Christians you trust on this as well, don't you? Yeah. So uh, here's another question. I feel like I'm being very provocative with these questions. Not like you, Dave. Yeah, I know. Um, so you talked about because of our peace with God, we want to make peace with others. Mm. But often, whenever we are seeking to make peace with others, it feels like war, or we it almost feels like we want to make war, doesn't it? How mm. how does the peace that we have from God help, like, motivate us to not be so? I don't know, aggy is that the right word? <laughs> um, 
Gosh, I mean, I think there's a lot of threads in that question, actually. I suppose the main one for me is, how does the fact we are peace with God lead us to be peacemakers? It reminds me of what, what, what matters most. Yeah. Reminds me of things that should fill me with gratitude and joy. My, my position before God, my relationship with God. Yeah. So whatever other peace-threatening issues are going on in my life, say with other people, yeah. it, they're just, why am I getting bent out of shape about this yeah. when I'm justified, adopted, yeah. have the hope of glory? have peace with god yes and that's the thing whenever like eternity looms large you're like oh wait this is a hmm. a drop in the ocean sort of situation yeah there's um i'm jumping ahead here in my notes but just scrolling down um the question i assume you're not going to ask me now about uh, uh oh no maybe it is anyway i'll quote the <laughs> verse anyway i'm all over the shop it's <laughs> colossians 3 2 to 4 set your minds on things above not on earthly things for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Just another example of verses that fix our eyes on what we have in Christ and what we have to look forward to. And then the things then that make me impatient and loving mm. just start to, to fade Yeah. in comparison to that. So we, we sometimes use this language on the podcast and I'm aware that people probably think it's really weird but we say oh you've got to preach to yourself <laughs> and some people be like okay so i have to speak to myself for 36 to 40 minutes <laughs> like what? that was another dig at me for sermon length wasn't <laughs> no, it Dave? I mean, like okay. well, that 36 was very specific then <laughs> i'm just joking it's just a bit of fun i want people to know that we have fun in our job so what <laughs> I assume you would say to that person, don't preach for... Yeah. Like, what does that actually look like? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I think, yeah, fair question. And I, when I was thinking about how to answer that, I was thinking of the kind of one of the phrases out there that some some you know, therapists and counsellors use is self-talk, you yeah. know, that... Um, and with some of the positive thinking stuff out there that you need, you need to talk to yourself. And they don't mean talk out loud. They don't mean deliver a monologue for half an hour. They mean talk to yourself. Yeah. And that can help. And actually, from a secular perspective, that, that can help sometimes. Mm. The massive difference for the Christian is that preaching to yourself is basically self-talk, but it's telling yourself things that God is saying to you in his word. Yeah. You think about it, the psalmists often encouraged their own souls, didn't they? Yeah. To do and say certain things. And so really it's stopping and deliberately reminding yourself, maybe, maybe it's 30 micro-preachers to yourself during a day. But it's reminding yourself of biblical truth, um, meditating, to put it another way, yeah. on God's words. Yeah. So they sink in. Yeah. So in, in that sort of okay uh, scenario, like you get rejected from a job that you've gone for interview mm. afterwards, whenever you're, you're feeling awful about yourself, preaching to yourself might look like remembering 1 Peter 2, verse 9, chosen race royal priesthood a holy nation yeah. god's special possession mm. my identity is not found in my job it's found in who i am in christ and you might have to repeat that to yourself a hundred times yeah that's what preaching to yourself is well i remember um a handful of people saying you know off the back of that year where in god's providence we had romans 12 12 yeah. joyful and hope patient in affliction faithful in prayer i remember some people saying that, that during that time they were actually saying that quietly in their heads or allowed to themselves sometimes J yeah. just the verse yeah and that's that's preaching to yourself yeah <laughs> uh, 
so let's keep going. You said on Sunday how we can look for peace in the NHS, in a job, etc., mm. rather than Jesus. What does that mean to look for peace in those things rather than Jesus? Um, so I think what I was trying to talk about there is that as Christians, we, we know that we have peace with God, but then in terms of that inner peace, we often automatically try and seek it in other things first rather than God. Yeah. Or in those immediate circumstances, we run to something or someone for peace before we do God. So with the NHS, you know, if I'm if I'm really worried about something health wise, wanting to get that advice from the doctor or the or the treatment and the cure I need, that becomes the most important thing in my life when I'm in peace. Yeah. Um, the thing that will give me ultimate peace is just to hear that's going to be okay, and it's not wrong to want that cure and to want that help and to want that advice and to want to be well. But if I'm if my peace is primarily about that. I'm not going to know the, the peace of God in my heart as I should. Um, career, the same thing can happen, you know, that I might know theoretically that my career is not the most important thing in my life, but functionally it becomes the most important thing in my life because it's taking all my energy, all my passion. Yeah. And yet there's kind of a peace I'm seeking in doing that when I should be seeking my peace primarily in the Lord and my walk with him. Um, you could say the same about our children, wanting good things for our children, family, marriage, our relationships. What's the most important thing to me in the world? What make, what lights me up? What makes me whole and at peace? And often we know as Christians the correct answer is God, but functionally we're running to other things. And this series has been a good reminder for me in terms of seeking peace. Where do I go to seek yes. peace and comfort? Yes. So that's sort of that line you, that you sometimes hear people say, if this was okay, then I'd be okay. Yeah. So if my child's exams just went, like they mm. passed all their exams, then, yeah. then I'd be, or then I'd be happy. That's sort of saying. And, and to yeah. use sort of, uh, I think it's like Tim Keller type language. What happened is he would argue, I think functionally these things become your idols. Yeah. Now some people think that language is too strong, but I don't think by saying that Keller and others are saying, you stop worshiping God and you're not a Christian anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and you're bowing down for this idol. But it's something we've all got to watch in our everyday Christian lives. Yeah. If we go into certain things and certain people for comfort, for relief, for joy, for peace, yeah. then God isn't all in all. Yeah. And we, so we know we sit, we start, this side of glory, we're not perfectly loving with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm. But it's about growing in that, isn't it? Yes. On Sunday again. Sorry, these are just a couple of sound bites from you. Uh, you said about how peace is a promise. Mm. Uh, some bad theology sometimes talks about naming and claiming things. Mm. But is this a promise that we can name and claim? <laughs> Another gotcha question from Dave Law there. He's trying to catch me out. No, you didn't say, you didn't say name and claim. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's a, these provocative questions can be really handy, actually, can't they? Because you, that, that terminology is out there. So... Is this a promise we can name and claim? In a sense, yes. yes. I could just stop there, but I might get in trouble. Because um, like a lot of Christians, I don't really like that phrase, name it and claim it, because it's associated with a word of faith movement, which teaches that if your faith is just strong enough, you can claim any blessing and, and it's yours. Yeah. And that's not biblical. No. Um, and in that thinking, the power of my faith becomes the focus rather than God's promise being the focus. So in that sense, you can't name it and claim it. But of course, we do believe we can rely on God's promises in his word. 
he's faithful to those promises. Yeah. For example, to give us this supernatural peace yeah. when we'd otherwise just be completely anxious. But we need to understand his promises in context too, don't we? So if I take that promise in Philippians 4 to mean that I can ask God for peace, thank him for his goodness, and if I just say those words, all difficulty and strife and anxiety and suffering will melt away, I'm not understanding it in full biblical context in what, what peace is. But but yes, I do think Paul is saying that as I consistently, ongoingly ask God for peace, thank him for his blessings in my life, then his peace will start to garrison and guard my heart, whatever else is going on. But that's, that's understanding the promise right, isn't it? I think what's promised is peace in the, in the midst of storms, for example. Yes. It's not peace as in no suffering, everything is victory, everything will be completely perfect, Yes. this side of glory. Yes, that's helpful. Uh, so as a follow-up question to that, uh, say whenever our lives aren't peaceful, so falling out, yeah, carnage at work, falling out with mm. people left, right and centre, disagreement, we then come home and family life is a war zone with yeah. spouse, children, etc. Then we go to see, you know, friends or we play, we're doing our hobby. And again, just more, it feels like more conflict mm. <laughs> in all those areas. It's just a war zone. Everything just seems so miserable, so confrontational. How is the peace that we have with God really help there? Mm. Surely all those external things are far more significant than the sort of vertical uh mm. piece that we have well the yes the reality is often they, they feel more immediately significant don't they because yeah. they're, they're right in your face yeah and god and heaven and stop believing in god in heaven but god and heaven feel a very long long way away yes um so how does the fact we have peace with god help us i suppose because it reminds us, reminds me what true biblical peace really means. It's it's not the absence of strife or the absence of worrying things. It's not feeling, I don't think, of being completely untroubled. I mean, I have heard testimonies of that. You know, in terrible circumstances, Christians have said, I just had such a strong sense of complete peace. And that was clearly from God. And God does do that. And that's wonderful. But I don't think that's necessarily what peace in our lives looks like. It's, it's being in a position of peace with God, um, which which flows from a sense of God be my rock and my refuge of my soul being rested in him. It's it's the it is well with my soul of the hymn. Because yes. he says in that, doesn't he, when peace like a river attendeth my way, so when everything feels peaceful, yeah. or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you've taught me to say, it is well with my soul. So even when you're in the storm and it's painful and scary, mm. the scary things haven't gone away, but it is well with your soul and knowing it's well with your soul. So this is a waffly answer. Um, I think reminding ourselves what that inner peace looks like and how it's rooted in the fact that we have peace with God that cannot be taken away. Mm. It's that perspective change, that perspective corrective that um, we talked about earlier that I think makes that huge difference. So the family situation doesn't go away immediately, doesn't necessarily feel easy, but that's how the peace of God garrisons my heart yeah, when I meditate on what I have in Christ. Yes. Uh, I think I started to ask this question earlier and got a bit muddled. Um, I sort of combined it. But why is it 
sometimes whenever you're trying to make peace, it feels like you're making war. So, so often, <laughs> yeah, whenever you're trying to be a mediator, peacemaker, it just feels like you're causing conflict. Yeah. Why is, why is that the case? Um, well, it, it could be because we're picturing peace slightly wrong because we're thinking of peace as in completely untroubled, feeling really zen. Yeah. Everybody's getting on perfectly. There's yeah. no friction. Yeah. Um, and if that's how we're picturing peace and peacemaking, then, then it's not always going to feel like that. Mm. But I, I guess the question is, are we moving towards peace with one another in difficult situations? Yeah. It, what's the trajectory? And I guess the other reason it often feels like war when we're trying to make peace is because, uh, as we see in the New Testament in particular, as Christians, we've got three enemies. Um, the world uh, that's against the church, uh, the, the flesh, and, and the devil himself. You yeah. know, we've got supernatural opposition. Um, and none of those three enemies, uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the flesh is emphasized in Galatians, yeah. none of them want the peace of God to reign in our hearts. Yeah. But we're called to be to have peace and we're called to be spreaders of god's peace and with the holy spirit's help we can do that but yes that's why sometimes even trying to make peace feels like a war it's like really intense peace negotiations they're not easy yes yes and i suppose uh, potentially unhelpful illustration but like whenever you go to the gym and you're trying to get strong Often you feel horrendously weak because you can't lift lift the things that you want. To be able to uh, I'm laughing because I've been back in the gym, as you know, for the last yeah. three weeks, and there's there's people there who should not be lifting more weight than me. Yeah, and they are. But it's, it's very true, humbling. It? Sometimes you're like, oh, the thing that I'm trying to achieve does not seem to be happening. Yeah. it's just yeah, it, it's the way the world works. Sometimes, but it but it will yeah. over time when it, and that's what the spirit's doing in us. Yeah. Uh, so to transition on to patience uh what happens whenever we dismiss our impatience or just blame others so I, you know i mm. i might say they just push my buttons <laughs> um what happens whenever i do that um i think well honestly to be quite direct about it i think when we're saying that what we're doing is muffling the holy spirit's voice yeah we're sticking our fingers in their ears and not hearing what he's saying to it because he's speaking to each of us yeah. speaks to the whole church yes but he is speaking to each of us individually and he's not speaking to us primarily about others yeah. um, um, and what they're doing to maybe trigger things as he's saying, oh, I want to grow this fruit in your life. Yeah. I mean, I said Sunday, the whole idea of patience assumes that the other person is not perfect. I love that. I thought yeah, it was so helpful. At the, at the very least, they're, they're, gonna, they're showing fallen weakness yeah. and often they're, they're actually showing sin. Um, and the, the reality is we do not have a right to be personally angry with other sinners, not before God, yeah. um, or to blame our sinful anger on them. Yes, they may have done things to provoke, but I am still choosing to react, or I am reacting impatiently, angrily. Basically, if I blame my lack of patience on the other person, I'm being self-righteous. I'm not listening to the Spirit, lovingly convicting, encouraging me to grow that fruit of the Spirit. And none of that's saying we shouldn't confront sin in others, but <laughs> we start say, with ourselves. It's, yeah. it's plank and spec stuff, isn't it? Yes. Because I was about to say, yeah, if someone does actually do something that's really annoying, hmm. to be like, okay, why does that annoy me? Like, yeah. that's very hard to do. Uh, it's such an important question to ask, though. I mean, thinking of something I mentioned last week, Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you and how you go about that, that has to happen sometimes. But for, so in my head, if something happens, first question I need to ask is, 
um, why am I responding angrily? What sin do I need to deal with in my own heart? Yeah. This should be the way I think. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first question. And the next question is then, and there, and now I've done some business with God on that, and so and I want to seek to love that other person and to forgive them whatever happens. Mm-hmm. Next question, is that sin one that is worth yeah. confronting? Them? And sometimes if I love them, it is worth confronting, and I should. Yeah. But sometimes the answer is no, love covers a multitude of sins. I let that one go. It's funny though, isn't it? Like, in my mind, it almost feels not very genuine to be like, Oh, see, whenever you do this thing, it triggers in me a sinful, mm. like it's almost kind of like, this is me, like yeah. pre pre like, mm. do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, <laughs> it's my sort of, I'm going to say something bad about myself so I can say something bad about you. you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And yet again, I think we're circling back to relationship, yeah. aren't we? That when you have relationship with other Christians, then it's far easier for them to hear these things from you yes. and to believe you that, yeah. that you're being genuine. That when you said, "Look, I got angry about this. I've had to do business with God, and I shouldn't have got angry." Yes. But I do feel that that wasn't helpful. That was wrong, and yeah. I wanted to tell you that. So let's let's jump down because we don't have much time left. The last few questions, because that sort of segues nicely into what are we are struggling with patience with someone? Mm. Dare I say it in the Bridge Church? <laughs> what would we do? Uh, well. I know it's the, the Sunday school answer, but it's the right answer. Pray. Yeah. I I will naturally jump to doing half a dozen other things first. I'll, I'll, I want to speak to that person. I want to um, think of this strategy. I wanna, uh, first thing I should do is pray. Um, ask the Lord to forgive any sinful anger in, in you and to cultivate peace in your heart. Um to do some heart work and some self-counseling, like you were just saying, ask the why questions. Like I said on Sunday, why is this particular person testing my patience so much? Why is that particular thing getting to me? Is it because idols are being threatened here? What, what's the what's the root of it? Yeah. Um, what is it that's being threatened that's making me react in an unchrist-like way? Is it some idol in my life? Is it my position? Is it my pride? Is it fear of man? Whatever it may be, why am I responding this way? And I think you've got to do all that stuff before you even think about talking to the other person. Yeah. Um, it's good to identify our sinful responses, but it's also biblical to examine our hearts as to why we're responding in a particular sinful way. Yeah. Um, so I think all those things have to happen first, but at the end of the day, it might be you're struggling with patience with someone in church because there's consistently sinful behavior on their part. And at that yeah. point, Matthew 18 comes in and, and lovingly yeah. going to them about that after having done that hard work first that's where peacemaking can feel a bit like stressful and even a bit like a war but um if we do that with the right heart and attitude that can be the right thing to do yeah i think i'm very young and foolish because i was i was talking to two friends about this on sunday that i was saying like whenever something annoys me in the home i don't want the person to die wondering if i'm annoyed <laughs> i'll i'll say like that annoys me. Could you please stop it? <laughs> and they'd be like, "Oh, they must find like they must find that very difficult for you to be so confrontational." Like, "Oh yeah, they have much more patience than me because I could be doing a hundred annoying things and they don't mention it once." Mm. But I like, I would rather let someone know that they're testing my patience yeah. and not let it. I don't know. I don't want roots to grow deep mm. where I'm like, "Oh." 
they do so many things that annoy me now like i can't even begin to <laughs> confront them but yeah. young young and stupid definitely that's well that, that that's all of us though isn't it it really is that we and we don't do the hard work first and think and pray and talk to the lord about why is this bothering me so much lord yeah but even once you've done that you may still need to speak to the person yeah uh last one very helpful uh fun phrase how can a temper destroy a testimony surely you can't destroy god's work in someone's in your life surely <laughs> no i i think short answer to that is no i don't think it does completely destroy your testimony in every sense it was it was a provocative phrase from um alan kens that it's, i it deliberately good. dropped into as a little bit of a grenade and I, uh, yeah so it's a very black and white quote i don't think the writer meant that an outburst of anger will like completely derail your faith. I mean, you can never be a good witness again. You've yeah. ruined all the good witnessing you've done in the past. You'll never bear fruit. You could read it that way. I don't think that's what he meant. But I think it certainly can be the case that e even one bad out outburst of anger, yeah, certainly if it's not repented of quickly, it can definitely affect the person on the receiving end of it. And and in their in their mind, um, it will be hard to hear your testimony in the future maybe yeah i don't think it means you, you won't have a testimony at all or you won't bless others and that person might come around and show grace and forgive you but certainly bad outbursts of anger when not repented of quickly can let's be honest they, they can be really harmful probably almost everybody listening to this podcast and you and i right now could think of ways that christians have behaved in the past that have just stuck in our minds yeah. and maybe we just need the grace to forgive if we haven't but that's the reality. They, they can stick and they, they can cause damage. Yeah. So repenting quickly, I think, is a, is a key thing. There we go. We've got 12, 12 seconds left. Oh, good one. Thanks. Yeah, okay, good. see you Sunday. Bye. <laughs>